Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Podside. I'm here with Carlo, and we have a special guest, an unusual guest, because we knew him as a Podsider and a friend before we really knew him as an author, and that's uh, Ilmani Ferreira. Dude, I knew I was going to do that, man. I choked. <laughs> Ilmani, no thank problem. you so much for coming. <laughs> thank, thank you for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Incredible. Uh, so, uh, I, I, we, the the big focus I, of this episode, of course, is going to be on uh, on your new book. But I'm certainly uh, before we get into that, how did you find us? Because it was it was really cool to you know to to read a book of a pod cider and be able to to bring it to this level. So so thank you for coming. You know. Yeah. Uh... Thank you for having me in again. Uh, so I found you through uh, Carlo. I followed him on Twitter, uh, and then he started posting. And uh, I guess I'm not sure actually, but I think uh, yeah, he started posting about the pod side. I started uh, uh, listening to podcasts, and uh, I think uh, that's how it started, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, uh, gl- glad to have you on, and uh, I. I really like Terminal Three. Um, oh, I that's have, what I liked. <laughs> I I've noticed a couple of things that I wanted to bounce off of you. I mean, it's definitely it's its own work. Like I'm not looking at this and saying this is derivative of this novel or anything else. But I made a couple of lines in my head, and I was wondering if they were just me. And the first is there was a video game in the late 90s by Mucky Foot Productions called Startopia. Did you ever play that? Nope. Okay, <laughs> it's it's a lot like Terminal 3. It's okay. very interesting. Like there there's Start even Take uh, notes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's uh you basically have to make the station attractive in order to get different types of aliens in and they're different different ones are good at different skills and there's okay. actually a gal- an alien that will like eat garbage and iron to produce diamonds oh i never <laughs> oh no <laughs> uh, nobody but me is going to make that connection well uh, and, and the listeners now but that oh. that's <laughs> i mean I, I wouldn't i wouldn't worry about it. i i was just looking that up uh pete and that is a release date of 2001 so this is a 19 year old game I don't think anyone is going to make that connection, so I wouldn't worry over much about that. Yeah, but same time, damn, <laughs> someone <laughs> had the same idea before me. <laughs> I mean, if if anything, I think that just proves the point that you can take the same, like some same basic idea elements, and produce two totally different stories or narratives out of it. Yeah, uh, and it's yeah. T- it, it, like I feel like yours is very much indicative of like a, a certain 
perhaps world a, a weary pessimism that has turned into comedy. You know, like yeah. <laughs> sort of mean spirited jokes, <laughs> but um, yeah. And I don't think it's mean spirited in the sense that it's simply the characters are just sort of like in this situation that is not ideal in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's sort of a, a um, I don't know that there, there there's cruelty happening here, but it is um, it's as a result of the pressure, and you seem to be very very conscious of that. Like, not many writers can do science fiction without making it a complete dystopia or a utopia. Like, you're just like, well, this is. This is a this is a generally ugly place that is funny sometime, and that's really it's its own lane. I really liked yeah. what you did here. Thank you. Yeah, uh, I was uh, joking with a friend uh, that uh, uh, read a uh, better of mine who uh, read it read it, and uh, uh, is that a, a dystopia or not? You know, that was the question he asked me, and uh, I was not sure. Uh, maybe it's a mad topia, you know, because it's like it sucks in a certain ways, but it could be so much worse, right? So <laughs> I like Matopia. That's yeah. I think we're gonna use that in the copy. <laughs> Okie doke. Madtopia it is. <laughs> so um one of the the one of the other connections I made in my head, and don't worry, this isn't gonna be a one of those, you know, somebody else came up with this first moments, but there, <laughs> There's a long history in science fiction of um, uh, oh well. Let me just give a couple of examples. Like there's Callahan's Bar that Spider Robinson wrote, and there's Cowboy Fang's Space Bar and Grill that was Stephen Bruce. And it's like um, a, a, an object that is a framing device that can hold many stories in it. And there's a time travel element as well. Okay. And I I really liked what you did here with that because for one thing, like um, the vast majority of characters have absolutely no idea there is a time travel element, and yeah. your framing device. I mean, like it would be very easy, I think, for you to take this and fit as many stories as you wanted into it. But you really said, okay, I am going somewhere, and I'm going to make a tight three. And I, I just, I, I, I really like how you set it up. It's, it's, um, it, I, it's a great use of the genre. I guess one of my questions about this is, have you thought about that? The idea of taking additional stories and slipping it into the station, like at a later point, or is, is this likely to be it? Yeah. So I originally, uh, Terminal 3 was, I wrote it first as a, as a TV pilot. So, uh, the, yes, I shopped it around. I really wanted to, you know, my dream was to see that as a sitcom, a half hour one. Sure. And the, which was much lighter in tone, actually, than the book. Um, um, maybe a little less, uh, philosophic. <laughs> and, uh, it turns out that, uh, uh, oh, sorry. Uh, I thought I had lost you for a moment. Uh, oh. my screen went black. <laughs> uh, so yes, uh, and uh, what happened is that uh, it plays well in a contest, but uh, it never went uh, further than that, you know. So, and uh, really, so I had uh, in my head the whole idea for the the, the 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 arc for the first season, which included that element of time travel that uh, is the core. But uh, 
with a different uh, perspective. And I decided to turn that into a novel when I decided to try my hand at uh, writing prose again, because I've been writing only screenplays and teleplays for maybe eight years uh, after I had an incident with a novel I wrote inspired by a friend. And that friend uh, hated it so much that uh, she stopped talking to me. So, oh no! <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, I stopped uh, writing prose uh, and, uh, for ten years, and <laughs> so Terminator was my ticket back. You know. <laughs> well, welcome wow. back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have you have a strong a strong uh, a strong return. That's that's what I'll say. Yeah. Uh, to be fair, I wrote a couple of other stuff before. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Uh, one year before, yeah, but pretty much that's the story. So, <laughs> um, what, what else uh, can I say? So, yes, uh, and in terms of inspiration, uh, I was when I was a teenager, big fan of Babylon 5. Uh, oh. yes, for me, Babylon 5 uh, is a little bit of that sort of metopia that uh, I see, uh. <laughs> Because it, if you think about that, Babylon 5 sucked a lot, right? You had all those levels that were basically slums, and uh, but at the same time, you know, those people are trying to build a better universe, right? For our sentient life. And, uh, and uh, yeah, and in general, in terms of inspiration, so maybe that's, uh, I, I cannot deny it, uh, my inspiration for sci-fi came from Babylon 5. It came also from my personal experience, so... Um, I, I'm an immigrant in the US. I'm originally from Brazil. Uh, before that, I lived in Canada for three years as a immigrant as well. Uh, I never, I was never allowed to come to the US, uh, before I, I married, uh, I happened to marry an American for one of those twists of fate. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, the first time I applied to go come to America was to attend to a convention here. I think it was in 2010, and my visa got denied. They did not like my face. <laughs> Second Sometimes time, I think it's random. It, yeah, it was to take a connection in Atlanta to, to uh, for a flight to Canada because I got a uh, flight that was much cheaper from Brazil, right? So connecting the US. Uh, I tried the tourist visa. They did not give it to me. They gave me. They gave me the the um, the uh, transit visa. So I was allowed to travel through the airport, and that's it. <laughs> and uh, yes, it was an experience that reminded me a lot of Terminal Three because uh, I got pickpocketed in uh, Atlanta airport. So I oh no, notes. yeah. <laughs> So and uh, including my uh, yeah, including my uh, the equivalent of my green card went with my wallet when I oh, was God. going to 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 Canada. So I'm not sure how they allowed me to enter without that document because I still had my passport because it was not my wallet. But uh, yes, I was. Oh my God, I'm going to be deported. And <laughs> um, yeah, it was a very terminal three experience in Atlanta. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to ask you what inspired you, but I'm seeing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and after that, uh, I also was a volunteer in a, in the bus terminal in Goiânia, my hometown, Brazil. So Goiânia is a city that's right in the core in the of uh, Brazil. So mm -hmm. the bus terminal is a major hub, you know, connection, you know, uh, but and uh, it's a 
country where people still travel a lot by bus. You know, uh, it's still the most affordable way to travel. Uh, the railways, railway, the trains, you know, uh, don't exist anymore. They used to, I, I mean, my grandfather used to work for the rail industry, but it's, uh, it's over. So it's basically either bus or airplanes. And um, I was a volunteer at the bus station uh, for basically it was a counter funded by the Catholic Church that uh, helped uh, travelers who were just stuck there. And, uh, they want to get to their destination, but they did not have the cash or they just got there and uh, they had nowhere to go. And uh, I mean, my background is social services. So um, and I it was very interesting sometimes, even the, uh, I, I liked that, um, to, to do that work, even we are very underfunded. So sometimes we had to turn, you know, uh, to, we could not help everybody. And, uh, yeah, so it was not very fun sometimes. So that explains a little bit the, that character that's, um, uh, yeah, uh, Wangy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I definitely, um, I've known a number of people over the years that, that work in social work, and there's definitely, there's two directions they can go. And one is uh, manic optimism. Yeah. And <laughs> the other is just this bleak cynicism that, I mean, it's, 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 it's uh, I mean, and, the, and they're both defenses. And so, I mean, like she, she was funny, but it was also very real. Uh, yeah. w- well, maybe her not getting x-ray vision and teleportation, that might not have been real, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's damaged. They're, they're all damaged. Right. So that's my attempt to, to explore a little bit each character and uh, how they, <laughs> so, you know, that, that, that just makes me think of that. Uh, to paraphrase that uh, awful quote from uh, the The Dark Knight, where it's you, you, li- you, you become a Wendy long enough to see yourself become a Brenda. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. That's a pretty good. I love that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, yeah. I, I, my opinion, um, as a. Uh, I mean, the the work doesn't belong to me now. It's out there, so people can have uh, opinions that are as valid as me about the work. But uh, in my opinion, Wendy is the most damaged of them all. <laughs> she, yeah, and Brenda maybe it's the last this damaged. Even she's the most callous and uh, as holish of them all. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, she she seems to have the best defenses too. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that the issue is that. Um... Brenda being the, if I remember correctly, she's the security, like the head of security at the terminal. Yeah. Uh, and, and what you do is, obviously, as we've seen in the real world, you know, generally speaking, you're put in a sort of a pinch of a position uh, between, you know, two different groups of of human beings, or in this case, uh, just people, uh, be, be they from Earth or not. Uh, and you are generally going to, uh, if you if you've got a healthy coping mechanism, you're just gonna fuck that. You're gonna offload that onto someone on, onto the assholes who are making you you know do this, and you justify treating them like shit because you know if it wasn't for them, you wouldn't be in this position. Exactly. And and I think that that's I mean it's it's not helpful because you're just basically boomeranging that awful you know like the the. the the harm that the system does to people, you're just boomeranging it back around to the people who 
probably least deserve it. Um, but yeah, I think that Wendy has just completely retreated into fantasy land, <laughs> which is probably not healthy for her, <laughs> but is, is doing less, I would say, would do less harm to other people uh, in general. Uh, other than maybe just making things much more confusing for, for people that she works with. Yeah. No doubt about that. Yeah. Some I'm people. of two minds. I mean, because like, okay, she's engaging on a delusional level, but like most of the security isn't engaging at all. And it's like, I'd almost rather be, be nuts than give up. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I, I like that point, uh, and that's what I kind of try to explore there. So, especially for Brenda, right? Because in her case, basically, uh, what happened to her, uh, her memories for, of a certain incident were erased. So, uh, suddenly, she something happens that makes her remember again, and uh, how her attitude, how her behavior, you know, what she became, you know, was explained by that. So, also, then, uh, yeah. Uh, in a certain way, she was the, the one that was nuts because of that, because of her, that. Uh... Hmm. So, um, I mean, this is definitely a novel that has people step into the not limelight and step back. So referring to somebody as the main character is kind of a mistake, but I'm going to make that mistake anyway. Um, the interesting thing to me about Gabriel as a main character is that nobody likes him. Which is a very unusual <laughs> choice. <laughs> like put it, putting somebody front and center, and then having everybody throw rocks at him is just wild. Well, uh, yeah, uh, Wendy kind of likes him, but she kind of likes everybody. You know, <laughs> she sees the best in everybody. So, <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> but I mean, yes. Um, yeah, I want that figure, and uh, it makes I explain at the end why wh- what happens. Uh, that basically he's a person who is out of place there, and um, so basically, yeah, uh, it's also a commentary. Uh, what I try to convey of that novel uh, that on the current situation, uh, on your current stance as an immigrant. You know, I felt you know when I immigrated all by myself to Canada. Uh, some years ago, and if, even now in the US, that's uh, you know uh, what I am, uh, what I, you know, what makes me a single individual. It's not uh, exactly accepted. So, you know, and uh, I think uh, that uh, there's a pressure that's more strong in Canada than in the US. That that you need to adapt and uh, change and uh, you know abide by the rules and. The, of uh, that society because uh, you are the one that is a guest there and uh, and sometimes and sometimes it's completely insane especially in Canada because uh, no disrespect but their culture can be sometimes so thin you know and uh, that obsession for hockey for example is because you know they, there's not much else so no disrespect <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so in a certain way, yeah, I think I put a little bit of myself there, you know, in the way that, uh, you know, uh, should I stay who I am, be who I am, or should I become someone I'm not in order to, you know, uh, become part of that society that, uh, for starters, is not really welcoming of me. And uh, 
it's it it's interesting to me i've uh um for for work and for joy i've done a certain amount of traveling um you know like you know some months in india and some months in other places and one of the things that really um i don't know if fascinates or irritates is the wrong word is the right word but you don't really define yourself when you go to another country like so much of what's going on is other people defining you and very little of it has to do with your choices like it's impossible for me to be in india for example and have people not think i'm an idiot because (laughs) i mean sort of by definition i am like I speak at best two languages and to be functional there, I would need to speak three or four. Um, I'm uh, my dietary choices are weird. Uh, My height stands out. And, and I just sort of think it's, 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 I don't know where I'm going with this. I, 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 Ilmata, you just got me thinking about it. So that's good. How about um, like, well, when, when you did, move to Canada or when you did come here, I know that those pressures are there to like, you know, suddenly be the biggest hockey fan in the world and to pretend you like poutine. Um, like I like poutine. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs> but like, do you, so like, do you just, do you just, uh, play along or like what, what, what are, what are your choices at that point? Well, uh, you know, for me the the best anecdote for how to adapt without adapting, you know, without letting you know that uh, collective crush you was an experience of mine in Vancouver. So I first I lived in Montreal, uh, and then I moved to Vancouver. Then I moved to Vancouver in the year where uh, the Canucks, the local team, uh, made it to the finals of the Stanley Cup, the playoff. I, I, I mean, whatever. I, I don't follow that sport. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Uh, but yeah, the city was, you know, f- frenzied with that, you know. So everybody, you know, people would go to the streets to watch the games in large screens and uh, everybody wearing their uniforms. And uh, uh, I could not give a shit, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, and yeah, uh, there was this day, I remember clearly that uh, I went out with a Japanese friend of mine, and uh, we were walking back home, uh, and then there was this uh, group of 10 uh, burly Canadian guys out wearing the Canucks jersey that stopped us and started to interrogate us about what happened in the game that they had just won, to see if we were following, and uh, uh and then he just asked uh, at some point, uh, oh, uh, who scored the game? And I said, oh, the Canucks start, scored the game. And it kept walking. And uh, on that day forward, I decided to lie and claim that because I lived before in Montreal, I was a, a Montreal Canadian, uh, you know, the local team fan. So people would leave me alone. Okay. So they would not try to convert me to the Canucks religion. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's a good way, you know, to actually, you know, uh, play a certain farce, and that yeah, I write satires, but yeah, sometimes you need to be a farce to survive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the, whatever tools you've got in the bag at that point. I totally yeah. Agree. I'll, I'll 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 mention that the the initial roommates that I had when I moved to uh, the Baltimore area were just just really just out of their minds. Uh, like one of like the 
the guy was into the Ravens and his wife was, was a Steelers fan. So, uh, I don't know how that really worked out between (laughs) them, but then they, they, you know, like I finally, like, because I was sort of living with, in a separate room in their house, I agreed to go watch football games with them. And, you know, honestly, uh, uh, Football games are, are honestly like maybe an hour game that is padded out to f- almost four and a half hours yeah. because you need ads. <laughs> and it's God damn it, dude! I just want to get home. I I don't want <laughs> just fucking throw it. Do something. You know, it's, even it's when my such parents, a waste of time. Even when my parents watch to watch a game with me, like I come to visit and it's the Super Bowl, I am strictly watching that thing to get drunk. <laughs> Well, <laughs> that, seem, that seems healthy. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, we, we all have our methods of coping. You know? yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was just at first I, I, I because football has such such a weird series of rules regarding like just getting to first because it's all first down. That's it. And then after that, it's like, OK, after that, it makes sense. But yeah. like, honestly, like hockey which I'm not into, but at least it has sort of like that same suite of rules that like soccer and basketball sort of have in common, which is the clock keeps on going, buddy. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's, it's like an hour, hour and a half tops and that's it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I give you those. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at the very least it's not, no one's wasting your time, but uh, anyway, it's just, it, you just reminded me of that. <laughs> Maybe I'm still angry at them for that. It's like, God damn it. I didn't need to learn anything about football. Fuck that shit. (laughs) So, Ilamani, when we're talking about your career, like I know you've, you've put a lot of your effort into screenplays and, you know, in that direction and then uh, have sort of pivoted back to, to novels. Um, Like, are you, are you in, in LA trying to make it work there? And Oh, no, no. I wish. <laughs> no. Uh, the fact that I'm in the US was a total accident because, uh, as I said, I was I tried three times to come as a tourist to the US. Uh, never got a visa. It was, there's something with my face. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was denied. Uh, other, other, you know, they, when uh, you are not, uh, you need to get a visa for a tourist visa. You need to go to an interview, and uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, so I tried for many, many years to, to before my, I, uh, yeah, to to move to LA. I even applied for a master there, but I could not get a student visa. Then anyway, um, and then uh, for some. Uh, I started talking to this guy on an online for uh, LGBT, you know, uh, forum. You know, it was not. It, I just want to stress, it was not one of those uh, things to meet single people to meet other people. <laughs> we were just talking politics, and uh, we really got along, and uh, we started talking more. Then let's Skype, okay, let's Skype, and let's meet, okay, let's meet. Can you fly to the US? Okay, I can try. I tried the visa, denied. Okay, come to Brazil, <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, uh, it was a total accident that I'm here. So no, I'm not in LA. I'm um, I'm in Delaware. Uh, yeah, really far away from uh, the West Coast. Even though we have plans to move there uh, to the West Coast uh, in a few years. And uh, I mean, uh, my husband Jim, he's from California. He's from uh, South California. Uh, but 
yeah, I've been to LA a few times, and uh, I think my choice for Los Angeles in my novel, why that's your point, right? Why why did I pick Los Angeles? Is because uh, I kind of mirror shopped that city for so many years, right? Uh, when I started as a screenwriter, and uh, it was like my, I, yeah. So I kind of know everything because I, I wandered through that city for so long through Google Maps and studying every neighborhood. And uh, even if uh, the actual LA, the 22nd LA in my novel, is some, it's very, it's quite different from, in general, from the current LA because of the one day war. <laughs> I'm not to spoil that to the readers, but uh, so it's completely, uh, the city is completely different, right? But uh, I got to know the city because of that. And kind of lived there in uh, in my mind, I guess. <laughs> I I'm frequently guilty of this. Um, I have a, a, a when I get to the point where I can live where I want fantasy, and there's a there's a stretch of about thirty miles of coastal Oregon that I could I could describe a number of the houses to you because I'm always going up and down and I'm looking and seeing what restaurants are there and you know, what, what else it's, it's funny. You can form almost a parasocial relationship with a place. These days. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. And especially now that you can go to the place through Google street maps, right. And Mm -hmm. explore it. (laughs) So all all those, all those Zillow, uh, twit, Twitter threads where it's like, look at this place, and you're yeah, like, Zillow too, I, yeah, Zillow too. I'd love, I'd love to buy Ursula K. Le Guin's old house. All <laughs> oh, right, just or give Anne me, Rice's. man, that house yeah, is get, awesome. It is, it is. Please, somebody give me like six million dollars right away. Yeah. <laughs> well, so then, uh, well, that that sort of begs the question. That's maybe the wrong phrase, but so you, uh, you're you're in Delaware, and you've you've been a screenwriter and you're doing a writing so it seems like a lot of the connections you're making to actually get this book published and to form relationships in television and so on are completely remote is that yeah. has that been a challenge yeah that's been a challenge as i said i kind of gave up of screenwriting for a while and uh, really uh tried to my hand at uh, writing prose again so uh first i wrote a novel that's uh, uh, it was not a good one, so it went to the, the, the drawer. And then I wrote a couple of short stories, novelettes, published some of them, and then Terminal 3, yeah. So that's that was... And now I... Yes, uh, I guess uh, I... In terms of strategy, that's not uh, the most uh, smart, but again, I I'm here in Delaware through an accident that uh, I married someone that uh, had to move here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, we, we, we debated back then, maybe he could move to the, to Brazil, but it was not doable for him. Um, so yes, in principle, uh, the, the idea would be for me to move to the West Coast. And uh, it's something that uh, I've been trying. Uh, it would be viable for us in two years from now due to work arrangements. Uh, but, uh, and uh, we have a plan. So I'm going to, my my personal plan is uh, next year, uh, as soon as uh, uh, there's a vaccine and uh, it's safe to travel, I want to drive to the West Coast and start uh, scouting places that uh, we could afford to move to. And, hmm. 
Yeah, well, I, yes. I have some hopes that things will be a little more affordable too, because as as things are going remote, I know that uh, that LA is having a real wake up call about rent prices. Yeah, they they need to go vertical, in my opinion. You know, as someone who never, uh, I mean, I've been there briefly, but uh, as someone who lived there without living there, uh, as someone who studied the place, yes, they need to go vertical or just collapse, right? Yeah, yeah. There's well, I mean, even just just the highways. I mean, there's there's eight times the traffic anybody actually needs on those highways. And mm -hmm. it just, it just sort of feels like an artificial situation to me. I would, yeah. I would love to live someplace beautiful and quiet and plug into my corporate overlords at a distance. I think that would make everyone happy. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. It's sort of interesting that, um, that we've had this, uh, it's sort of like the, the, the part of the future that uh, you saw like on the Jetsons is simply being foisted upon us due to extenuating circumstances. And you think to yourself, like, honestly, I, I honestly think to myself, like, how am I going to even really function once we are actually supposed to go back? And I have no idea because I'm getting way too, way too used to this. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if I have enough dress clothing anymore. <laughs> yeah well you do have a hundred pound dog did he eat it all uh, Pete? <laughs> there's, there's that and, and i mean i i did stock up on sweatpants and that's become a thing you know <laughs> i would think that's yeah uh my wake-up call about that was when i stared at my face on the mirror and i not how much hair i have my nostrils <laughs> so yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, when I go out, I have a mask, right? So why should I uh, pluck my nostril hair? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. I mean, <laughs> like we're having forced distance from people. We might as well get some compensation from it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Behold, <laughs> my nose hairs. Uh, yeah. yeah. So. Um, so are, do you have any other I, – I think you had mentioned earlier that uh, you're going – or maybe not earlier in this uh, interview, but you had mentioned previously either on Twitter or somewhere else uh, that you were trying to go back into script writing? Yes. Uh, so uh, the release of Terminal 3 was a little bit, uh, uh, let's say, turbulent because <laughs> of some issues I have um, uh, of – I mean, my publisher kind of botched some some things, and um, I'm not going details. But uh, if I listen to this, I do not. There's some typos on the cover of the book. I've been trying to uh, solve that situation, and uh, please uh, don't let the cover <laughs> dissuade <laughs> you from reading the book. <laughs> okay, say that. Yeah, uh, I'm a little bit uh, burnt out about you know prose writing and. Uh, Basically, you know, all the hoops and the how, you know, actually, there's a, a, a certain mentality that you actually, you know, you need to actually uh, deserve your place, earn your place. And there's a, you know, a, a veterancy principle. So, you know, now because it just started, what it's, I, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. You know, that 
basically, oh, you need to go to some uh, workshop, like, uh, uh, I don't know, like, uh, what's the name again? The one that starts with C. Uh, uh, Clarion? Oh, Clarion, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, okay, go, good for people. But uh, you know what? Uh, um, I don't like mentorship. So, <laughs> so uh, and I don't think I need mentorship. Um, so... Yeah. And I mean, if, uh, if if I need to go through that experience, you know, to get there, you know, just because I need to pay my dues, you know what? Uh, I I may just I paid my dues already as a in screenwriter screenwriting when uh, so I'm just gonna go back and uh, write new screenplays. I think it's a good moment right now because uh, uh, when I started, it was when uh, uh, it was that uh, dawn of uh, uh, of first. The of blockbuster right and rental movie stores, mm-hmm. so it was a very that took away you know lots of uh, of movies that uh, the movies that you used to rent right and uh, it's only blockbusters, uh, Marvel movies and superhero movies could make it. So I started um, trying my hand at screenwriting a bad, bad moment, but now streaming is out there and uh, maybe I should try it again before. You know, I need to pay my dues. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I did want to say that um, I, I I totally hear you regarding Clarion. And look, um, uh, you know, full disclosure, I I joined their little write thon thing, which is free. But to to date, I don't like. I I honestly, good for them. There, that's a thing that exists out there. But yeah. also, like, there is this feeling that they they do open a lot of doors and it's really expensive to get into Clarion and it's Mm -hmm. like six weeks. And you like, even if I could afford it monetarily, uh, it's not really fair to my spouse and everyone else around me to just fuck off for six weeks because I want to go, you know, improve my craft when I can sort of do that on my own. Yeah. And and on the cheap, you know. I've I've taught myself I've self-taught myself so far. Uh I think I can handle it from here, I guess. Uh but you know, and and the thing here is that there is a lot of weight placed on the the workshops and stuff like that. And it can help, but you don't need that. And exactly. I feel I feel like there's so so much pressure even if you're starting out and if you especially if you're starting out from like a a place where you are uh, an outsider or marginalized in some way to sort of want to get into that because that's going to open doors and sort of provide you with certain, I would don't want to use the word shortcuts, but definitely it's going to give you, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a bit of a shortcut to, to get your name out there. Uh, you still have to do the work. So there's that, but yeah. I mean, yeah, it's validation. So, and uh, honestly, yeah, I, I don't have the patience for that anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I just you know I'm too old for that shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know to to have a mentor who is gonna tell you, oh, okay. Uh, and honestly, yeah, uh, I like to take uh, risks with my stories, right? So I it was very interesting. Uh, I submitted for the first time on Codex a story I wrote recently, a short story. Uh, which uh, I like to, I kept the big review to the end. And uh, most of the feedback was, uh, I wish you could uh, spoil the, the big surprise and just tell it uh, right away, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. it's something, yeah, it's one of the reasons why. Maybe I'm not, uh, the sci-fi audience is not uh, 
you know, public's not the my sci-fi is not for the sci-fi public. I don't know, <laughs> so I'm. And I, I don't know. I don't want to change my my style and change my voice. You know, like Terminal Three, uh, it has that weird ass structure, right? That uh, mm-hmm. starts uh, on purpose as a you know chapters of a sitcom. So day one, it's a, like a sitcom episode. Day two, day three, and then boom, uh, mm-hmm. shit explodes because I wanted. You know, that's what's uh, been the Porsche that having your life fucking ruined is. You know, something good mm-hmm. going on. Ends and uh, that's so right. I and I know that uh, someone who is uh, more anal about uh, structure, like uh, most mentors are, would just uh, ask me to scratch, you know, erase that and start over. <laughs> yeah, I I mean to be fair, like that's I if someone were to say that to me, I basically throw that op- opinion out of, into the garbage because that does i mean it gives me some insight into what perhaps a, ge- a more um sort of general audience might take away from it and that's valuable in its own way but it's asking me to make the story into something it's not yeah and- getting feedback that's don't be who you are and don't write what you want isn't good feedback i mean yeah. it feedback should be about how not what. Yeah, I think I think I think a good mentor would probably ask you like so you know probably ask you for understanding be like so why did you do this this way? Uh, did you consider this or you know or have you considered maybe doing this other thing and yeah. perhaps being careful with how they approach the the feedback. I I don't know that everyone that even even writers, uh, I don't know that all of them are great critiquers, uh, if that makes sense. And that's no, I, I'm not trying to cast shade on any writers. I'm just saying that sometimes you have to really hold, uh, as a writer, I need to step away from what I wanted the story to be and approach the story on its own merits to really see what you're trying to do mm-hmm. and then say, okay. I see what you're trying to do here. I think you're trying to do this. Have you considered this to improve that, you know, that turn or that plot point or what have you? And that's a I feel like that's fairer to what you're trying to do rather than trying to make it into I like Marvel movie structures and I want your story to be just like, you know, Captain America 3 or whatever. And it's like, no. <laughs> How about we don't? Yeah. Sure. I don't know. I, I just feel like there is, I, I do take like a middle ground on that. And I understand that there is a need for that for critique, but also not all critique is equally valid too. So I don't know. Yep. Yeah. I hear yeah. you. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, I have my batters. Uh, They're very helpful. Uh, but yeah, that experience, you know, with people that they don't know very well, but they are really at the core of the, of what sci-fi is, you know, mm-hmm. is delivering as new writers. It's it was very revealing for me and uh, made me consider, you know, taking this big break now after uh, I take one, two, or three years writing, not write sci-fi, even if it, that's what I like to write. But mm. we'll see. <laughs> is it well, time? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, no. I mean, it's it's it's. I, I hope you do get back to it because I, I, I enjoyed Terminal 3 for what it is. So Yeah, me too. I, this, this, this was an enjoyable read. And 
I, I'm I'm sorry the experience has been kind of negative, but I I mean I the result definitely isn't negative. I mean this is a good book. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, I was going to say, uh, Pete, uh, when you were saying, like, uh, Gabriel isn't likable and is sort of not liked by anybody. I was like, do you remember a certain character called Arthur Dent? Oh, <laughs> true. That's very you were, true. you were invited to not like him as a reader, too. <laughs> I forgot to mention that, uh, yeah, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was a major influence for me, too. Uh, of course, you know, you can... I mean, and for everybody who's writing uh, 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 humor sci-fi, I guess. But mm-hmm. in my case, my contact with that book was so fucking weird. Uh, uh, it because uh, in, in my hometown, Brazil, I never had access to sci-fi uh, when I was a kid properly. Uh, my and, and fantasy uh, uh, because I mean the libraries uh, sucked, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it was it's a city, it's a big city, Goiania, but at the same time, especially back then, it was really very it was really a cultural uh, black hole. So my family, I mean my my parents, my dad was a journalist, my mom is a college professor. And uh, so we had a good home library, but it's uh, uh, still uh, based on their taste, right? So my dad was not really into sci-fi. he, he liked horror. Lots of Stephen King and uh, Clive Barker that he could buy, you know, when he traveled, and especially to Spain because he worked a lot there. So we had lots of uh, Stephen King in Spanish, uh, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so what happened uh, when I was ten? Uh, my mom, uh, we all moved to France because my mom uh, went there for her PhD. And uh, we lived there for two years. And uh, so it was very jarring for me in a good way because the friends basically, it was the opposite, right? So excellent library, you know, excellent libraries. Oh my God, you know, I, I would just go through all that, that uh, French Belgian comics that I could uh, have access for free, right? And uh, just read them. And uh, uh, I love the libraries there. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the same time, I still like, I, I just realized that I liked sci-fi when I was camping with the Boy Scouts there. So we went. It's a, it was a huge trip for two weeks in the mountains in central France. It's a region called Massif Central in the Auvergne re- region. That's like the a very rustic region. Basically, France developed industrialized around it, like a ring, and that core is very rustic. It's basically just mineral water and the ship, and and uh, it's beautiful. Uh, and uh, so after one week uh, one of the chiefs the, the scout chiefs right he was a big nerd so he bought a big crate of books and uh, and after one week we had a, a lazy day where we just stayed there and did whatever we want so some boy and uh, I went through his crate and uh, there was this book called uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in French and I read it in one sitting, you know, uh, the whole day, and uh, I read really fast. And then after that, okay, uh, back to business. Now let's go climb that mountain. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the thing is, I could never find that fucking book ever again. Uh, <laughs> I went back to Brazil, right? And the French did not help. There was no Google back then, in the 90s. So, yeah, even I, I don't know if I tried to search on Alta Vista, but uh, <laughs> I could uh, <laughs> Yeah, because... 
the name that uh, w w uh, was in my mind was, uh, of course, of uh, Zephyr uh, Beberox, right? And the they, France, for some reason, renamed here uh, him uh, Zappy BBC. For some reason, they, they for some reason <laughs> they, they need to rename that character, and uh, so I could not see. Uh... So and finally, when I was in college, uh, the book was released in Portuguese, uh, a new a new ed edition, and oh my god, and. At that same time, yes, uh, 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 Goiânia uh, had, uh, I mean, uh, things started getting more cosmopolitan in Brazil, and uh, so uh, yes, and I started reading more sci-fi. So my my contact with sci-fi and my decision when I realized that okay, sci-fi is my thing was quite late in life because of mm -hmm. that. But yes, <laughs> so I had to tell that. <laughs> no, it's great. That's fantastic great. because yeah. it, it actually shows how sort of. Uh, it, it reflects in part some of my own experiences. I, I, maybe not quite that late, but f for sure, like it, you know, like I didn't know where to even begin because there wasn't like a bookstore or mm -hmm. anyone to really teach me. My own parents didn't, uh, you know, they weren't sci-fi people. Yeah, uh, I mean, they they liked the movies and stuff like that, but even then, they weren't like fans or anything like that. So I I, I see where you're coming from. Uh but yeah, that, that is sort of funny, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's weird. That's something, my my contact with that, maybe my favorite uh, sci-fi work ever, happened so late. I mean, it happened early, but then, again, I lost it, and then I just got access late again. Mm -hmm. It was, oh my God, that book, that gave me so much joy. And, uh, well, and I never stopped I mean, thinking about it for 10 years, you know, how, how my teenage years, oh my God, did I? I hallucinated that book and <laughs> yeah. Did I actually read it? Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Um, but yeah, so, uh, it, it is sort of funny because it, it, it does like uh, terminal three does capture some of the absurdity of like the sort of bureaucratic in and out ins and outs of, uh, that, that, um, Oh my God. Uh, the author of uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Douglas Adams. Adams. Yeah. Come there on, we dude. go. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Douglas Adams. Yeah. I cannot see. I forgot even his name. Carlos uh, canceled. No. I'm, I'm, I'm having like a moment here, folks. Douglas Adams. Yes, Douglas Adams. So, uh, I, and and that that same sort of absurdity of the bureaucratic system, where like, for instance, even at the beginning, it's very present. Where it's like, oh yeah, you could have filed, you know, uh, for or the the notice was available to you. Uh, yeah, in in a in a basement below such and such a building, you know, <laughs> with a sign on it saying, you know, be beware, guarded by leopards. Yes, it, it was publicly available. Uh, it, it does actually capture that very well, and I think that yeah. uh, Terminal Three does a good job of yeah. sort of showing, perhaps not the uh, sort of like the 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 stitching, if you will, of the bureaucracy, the bureaucracy, but just at the ground level, what that looks like for everyone involved. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah. kudos. <laughs> Thank you. I worked for three years for the Brazilian federal government uh, just after mm. college, so that might help have helped too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep, so yep. yeah, because you can imagine that. Uh, yeah, the Brazil, the movie is not very distant from uh, the bureaucratic reality of uh, <laughs> Brazil. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I can ensure that everything's so, hard. Everything is crazy. Yeah. 
Do you still have family that live? I'm, I'm going to guess that yes. Yes, I, yeah, I came by myself. Uh, they're out there. They're out there. My sister, she works for the she works for the uh, Ministry of Environment at right now. So, I mean, she's a career worker, so she's trapped there. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure that she's very very thrilled about the developments. But yes, uh, she's loving to see. You know, uh, <laughs> thank everything. God. Yeah, under her academic background, biology. She has a PhD in ecology. So yeah, she's loving it. Loving it. <laughs> All right. I, I'm sorry. I, I I always manage to ask the questions that bring people down, Pete. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. I'm going to toss it over to you. Bring people back up, man. So I do I do think there's a question we haven't answered, which is important. Uh, Ilamani, suppose a listener wants to get your book. Uh, what can they do? How can they find your writing? Hey, uh, so uh, – in principle, uh, you could go to the publisher's uh, websites and order a hard copy, but I would not have recommend that. I would, I hate to do that, but I need to recommend Amazon um, uh, because uh, they deliver, you know. So even if they cannot deliver um, correction of the cover, uh, they deliver mm -hmm. the book. So <laughs> That's fair. Can, uh, yeah, Amazon is <laughs> the best way right now, I'm afraid. Well, it's yep. it's Amazon is a necessary evil at this point. So I, I, I mean, I got I got my copy from Amazon. So I, I yeah. you know, you do what you have to do. Yeah, same. <sighs> yeah. Um, and you also have a, a piece that came out. Uh, I forget the the numbering. Uh, UFO is it six or seven now? Eight. Uh, Eight. Yeah. The unidentified funny object anthology that uh, Alex Reitzman has been organizing for a while. It's one of the few outlets for humorous science fiction, uh, short stories, I mean. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they just released the eighth edition, and uh, they're not going to have a ninth edition next year because uh, uh, of everything that's going on. And uh, he did not cash enough money to fund the next one. That's a shame. But, yeah, it's uh, I got a short story. It's called uh, uh, Terribly Terrifyingly Normal. Uh, the title came from Hannah Arendt from Eichmann, Jerusalem, where she describes uh, Eichmann, you know, the the manager of uh, the concentration camp of Auschwitz, as uh, someone who has terribly, terrifyingly normal. So uh, it's a uh, yes, it's comedy, <laughs> so, uh, but uh, yeah, it's a criticism on the current uh, fascist situation, both in the U.S. and uh, in Brazil. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I have a couple of other short stories out there. I tried my hand at uh, climate fiction uh, in an anthology called "And Lately the Sun." It's an Australian anthology of uh, climate science fiction or just climate fiction. Mm -hmm. uh, what else? Uh, yeah, and I have another short story that came in the hybrid science fiction June, I think. Yeah, that's what I have this year out there. Okay, excellent. All right. Well, I'll, I'll try to see if we can uh, include those links uh, in the show notes for you. you. And um, and uh, it, and you have your own website, right? Is that yes? Correct? That's correct. Uh, it's www.ifsci-fi.com or if sci-fi. Yeah. Okie doke. You can find me there uh, and the links to everything I have made so far. Excellent. All right. And uh, just 
I mean, we're going to probably want to ask you back at some point. Oh, uh, thank you. <laughs> what do you say, Pete? Well, say again? Uh, what do you say, Pete? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We should, absolutely. We should have Ilamani back on. I thought Maybe, uh, you, uh, go ahead. I thought you asked when we should have him on, and I'm like, God, oh, I don't know, dude. Oh, what are nice. you doing? That's sweet. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. You know what? Uh, we we, we want to go ahead and uh, maybe the next time we have you on, you pick out like some uh, some sci-fi thing that you like, and we we all get together and discuss that. Okay. Yeah. There, there's some there's a novel that just blew my mind uh, recently, uh, oh. and uh, it's. Um, is the Vanishing Birds by uh, Simon Jimenez? Uh, the it's... Vanishing what? The Vanishing Birds uh, by Simon. Oh, birds, Jimenez. birds, birds. Okay, sorry, gotcha. it's. I mean, I would love to talk to someone about it because I have no. I need to talk to someone about it because it's it's blo- it blew my mind. So, oh my God, it's so good, and nobody is paying enough attention to that. Oh, no. okay. Yeah. Uh, probably <laughs> take a look at that. All right, that sounds great. Um, all right. So, uh, anything else, Pete? Uh, I, I, um, I think I'm done here. I, th- I think we're at a good place here. We've, we've talked about the book. We've talked about, uh, the politics of two nations, world travel, hockey, football. I mean, like, where do you go? <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for, for having me. And, uh, it was really nice. Absolute right. well, pleasure. Th- I hope yeah, to, thanks for coming. Can't on. wait to have you back. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so okay. much. Take care. Bye, Bye, everybody.